Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. We're continuing in the story. We're going to be talking about Paul's mission. Let's roll a video, and as you see the video, that'll catch you up to where we are in the story. Jesus' followers continued to spread the word about him, including Saul, now called Paul, and his friend Barnabas. They traveled by foot and boat, inviting other followers of Jesus to join them in sharing the good news about Jesus. In each new city they visited, Paul would go first to the synagogue to share with the Jewish people that the Messiah had come. Everywhere he went, people believed what Paul was teaching and chose to start following the way of Jesus. But some simply couldn't believe what Paul was saying, and others were threatened by Paul's message and began trying to find ways to stop him. A few times, Paul and his friends were attacked and beaten so severely that they almost died. They were also thrown in jail. Despite this opposition, Paul kept telling others about Jesus. One night, sitting in prison, Paul and his fellow worker Silas began to sing songs to God in the middle of the night. When they did, a violent earthquake shook the jail and all of the prison doors came open. The prison guard was so distraught that he took out his own sword to kill himself until Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The guard was so overwhelmed by Paul and Silas that he asked them to tell him and his family about Jesus and about God's ways. In each city, Paul helped Jesus' followers organize themselves into communities called churches. After he left these churches, he would often write letters back to them to encourage, correct, and teach them to live more like Jesus. These letters were read aloud in the churches over and over and have continued to be read by followers of Jesus for thousands of years. Well, if you recall what Pastor Dan taught us about this man last week, Paul the Apostle, formerly known by his Jewish name Saul, and the transition and the change in perspective that that this guy went through, it's pretty amazing to see what he's doing in today's portion of the story. How many of you have ever gone through a transition in perspective where you saw something one way and then all of a sudden you came around and saw it from almost the opposite point of view? How many of you, for example, have seen this drawing that I'm going to put up? I'll bet many of you have seen this before. Maybe you'll have to recall the very first time that you saw it. And if today is the first time you're seeing it, how many of you see a young lady in this picture? Can you see a young lady? How many of you can see an old woman in this picture? All right, I, I'm guessing a lot of you have seen this before. And how many of you... Can, can take the effort and kind of switch your attention from one perspective back to the other. So for those of you that, that haven't seen it before, the young lady is facing away. That's her, her, the line of her, of her jaw there and her hair up there. The old lady, this now becomes her nose and that is her mouth. Just so that you can all see what everyone's seeing. Bam. All right, some of it's going to, I can see some people going, don't see it yet. Perspective is 
is so important in life, how you see things. You, I've, I've seen people argue over this if they'd not seen it before. There's an old lady there. No, there's not an old lady there. There's a young lady there and get into massive arguments because they can't see the other perspective. Now, how does this work in real life? I was uh, this past week visiting with my good neighbor from across the street, Dan. And Dan loves to hike in South Mountain. And uh, he had a guest from out of town, actually, um, an expatriate from another country. And he really wanted to show him what it was like to hike in our beautiful desert, even though it's a little warm. And Dan is an expert hiking in South Mountain. He, he knows many of the trails that others, others don't know. He know, knows the locations of many of the caves back in the, in the back country there. And so he wanted to take his, his buddy to... Uh, on a hike to a cave that he had been to many times before. He'd been in this cave. He says it's one of the deepest caves there, uh, quite dark in the back, and he'd been there seven, eight, nine times before. And so he took his friend, and when they arrived at the cave, quite far distant back in the park, they encountered something that Dan had never encountered before. In front of the cave entrance was a huge pile of stone that someone had piled up there, hadn't been there before, and then a signpost that someone had put in there that says, warning, there's a very venomous, an extremely venomous snake inside this cave. Now, Dan was taken back a little bit by that because he'd been in there a number of times, even had been in there without any flashlight wandering around, and uh, got to thinking, man, I wonder... Is that real? Because I've never seen or heard a snake back in there. So being a little bit extra cautious, he's with his friend. He takes his phone out, turns the, the, the flashlight on, and they begin to slowly step into the cave and they go further back and further back and they don't see anything. And they get to the, the furthest reach of the cave where it's super dark and There, dimly, in the light of his flashlight, he notices movement. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but in the dark, the very first thing that any of us will see before we see shapes or anything like that is movement. That's the way your eyes work. That's what he saw, movement. And so he turned the flashlight so slight, ever so slightly to to focus on whatever was moving, and there it was, with its head raised, A big black snake. He said it was about as round as his fist and about six feet long in the back of the cave. And all of a sudden, the the tail came up and the rattle started to sound. And the adrenaline rush that he had, he said it took him two full days to recover from the perspective change. He went to that cave thinking this is going to be fun and adventure amazing. I'll take my friend to see what it's like to hike. And as he went into the cave, he began to have a whole new perspective on whether or not he should be in that cave. And what what we both talked about is how interesting it is that someone before him and his friend had been in that cave and had taken a lot of effort. I don't know if any of you have stacked up a pile of stone like that in the hot summer sun. Made the effort to go into a cave, discovered that there was a poisonous snake inside, gone all the way down the mountain, made up your own sign with a little picture on it, created a signpost, hiked all the way back up, 
piled up the stones and, and put it in there. But something about that person's perspective had changed about that cave. And, the, and he knew, I think it was very simple. There's a poisonous snake in this cave and I need to do something to protect others. And it really didn't matter what effort, what trouble, what time, what sweat it was going to cost him. He was going to make sure, now that he knew that that snake was in the cave, that he piled up those stones noticeably and put that sign up. You know where I'm going with this? What we're talking about today is a man whose perspective change was so vast that it literally led to a name change from, as we learned from Pastor Dan last week, from Saul to Paul. And in the process of that perspective change, Paul was compelled. He was driven. He was drawn to do things no matter how much trouble, pain, effort, sweat, blood that it cost him so that he could protect others from the fate that he himself had been in. He needed, he felt he was compelled to go out and say, guys, you need to check because I think there are snakes in your spiritual cave. And, and we need to watch out because the, the snakes in your spiritual cave can do you great harm. They can cause death and destruction. And that's what we're seeing here today with the Apostle Paul. So I want you to take your crosswalk notes out with me. Let's open up our Bibles. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9. Pastor Dan last week told us about how the spotlight has now shifted to the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and the sign of that was that many blessings were pouring out on the church. There was growth. And the, and the people were growing internally and being generous and helpful to each other. And another sign of the Holy Spirit was just the opposite of that. That there was opposition and persecution. And we learned last week that Paul, as he was in his Formal condition, former condition named Saul was one of the chief persecutors of the church. He, he went out of his way. He, this is a passionate guy. He went out of his way to track Christ followers down and imprison them, confiscate their property. Even in the case of Stephen, we read in the book of Acts, supervise and make sure that someone who was a leader in the church was stone cold dead. And he stood there and watched until it happened. Stephen was, was martyred by having a bunch of people surround him and throw stones at him until he was dead. Paul supervised that. Saul supervised that. And then, as we also learned last week, Saul was way out of his way, headed to a town named Damascus, so he could track down even more Christians there and persecute them. And as he's on this way, on his way to Damascus, all of a sudden, Jesus himself. Now, Jesus has died at this point. So I just want you to get this perspective on where we're at in history We've, we've gone through, and you've been with us in the story, Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension. Jesus has has ascended into heaven quite some time ago, but Jesus comes to Paul, Saul in the form of a vision and confronts him and says, why are you persecuting me? And that's an interesting statement that Jesus makes, isn't it? 
Why are you persecuting me? Now, I just told you that Jesus was dead, risen, and ascended. We know that that Saul had not been directly persecuting Jesus. What, What Saul had been persecuting was the body of Christ, as it's called in the Bible, the church, the believers. Another name it's known by is the bride of Christ. And I don't know, guys, if you've ever confronted someone who was bothering your wife and said, hey, you do that to her, you're doing it to me. Knock it off. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying that those people, Saul, that you're persecuting, that's my bride. That's my wife. I love her. You stop persecuting her because when you persecute her, you're persecuting me. And Saul is blinded there on the road to Damascus. He's led into the town of Damascus by his, his comrades, the people that had gone there. And God sends a man named Ananias to heal Paul of his physical blindness. And in so doing, he witnesses to Paul about Christ. Paul is baptized and his spiritual blindness falls away with his physical blindness. Paul is converted in his thinking that moment about who Jesus Christ is. And it's interesting to see exactly what Paul does the moment his thinking is rearranged and his heart is touched by the love of Christ. Take a look at Acts 9, 20 to 21. At once he, Paul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. This took no time at all. This is the very chapter where Saul is converted to Paul. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now that is miles away from what the perspective that Saul had had. Saul thought that Jesus was not the Son of God at all, that he was a false prophet, a false Messiah, a blasphemer because he, a man, was claiming to be the Son of God and bringing God down to human level. Blasphemy actually means to speak evil of God. And for the Jews, anytime you brought God down to human level, that was blasphemy. And so Paul's only thought, based on that perspective of who Jesus is, his mistaken impression of who Jesus is, was we have to root the memory of Jesus Christ out of our people, and we have to get rid of these people who follow him. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yes, that was the original plan. But Paul's mind has been rearranged. His heart has been deeply touched by the love of Christ. He's converted. See, what we can learn from this is that Paul had once believed the wrong thing about Jesus. I want you to write that down. But that wasn't the only perspective change for Paul. Because Paul had believed the wrong thing about Jesus, Paul had also believed the wrong thing about himself at one point. And Paul describes this, this, you know, his, his view of himself as Saul. Saul's view of himself was, I'm the hero. If if I need help, do you know who I look to? Me, myself, and I. That's my holy trinity. Take a look at the verse. 
If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, that is, to be self-confident with no help from God, with no power of the Holy Spirit working in me, if, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, they should look at me. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, I was born into this. Today we would say baptized on the eighth day. I've, I've been a Christ follower since day one. Paul would say, I was a Jew since day one. Of the people of Israel, I'm, I'm, I'm special because I'm part of God's special people, the chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is the best tribe among all the Israelites. When God wanted a king, the first king for the people of Israel, which tribe did he go to? Benjamin, because we're the best tribe. Hebrew of Hebrews, all the Jews look up to me. I'm the paragon. I'm the example. In regard to the law of Pharisee, I'm strict about following the rules, like all Pharisees are. As for zeal persecuting the church, man, no one will go further than me. No one will work harder. No one is going to be more passionate than I am. I will go wherever it takes and do whatever it takes. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Bring on the paparazzi. Have them stand outside my house with, the, with their cameras. Have them jam their, their lenses right into my face. Have them send private detectives and mount cameras in my living room, in my kitchen, in my bedroom if they want. They aren't going to find a thing on me because I am faultless. You see Paul's view of himself? I don't really need a hero because I'm my own hero. I don't really need a champion because I'm my own champion. And if I need help, I look to me. So Paul had also once believed the wrong thing about himself. That's, that is not the right idea, guys. We're not done yet. Not only had Paul once believed the wrong thing about Jesus and also believed the wrong thing about himself, He also once believed the wrong thing about how to get close to God. How do you restore the relationship with God that has been destroyed and demolished by our wrongdoing and our sin? Well, his answer was, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Check out anybody my age. I know way more than they do about this faith, this religion called Judaism. And I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You want ritual? You want tradition? You want religion? I was extremely zealous for all of those things. You see, Paul's view of how to get close to God is very common. Very common then and very common now. And many of you have been brought up to share Paul's original idea about how to close the gap between you and God. The way you do it is by being a better person, a more obedient person, by following certain traditions and rituals and laws and rules. And if you do enough of that, you, as your own hero, will close the gap 
and you can be reconciled and God will be happy with you and you will be happy with God. That's how people believe it's done. That's how Paul was taught to believe it it was done and how he believed it was done. It's how you get close to God, ritual, tradition, religion. And Paul believed that through all of those things, he could craft his own ladder, a ladder built of his efforts and the rituals that, that he followed and the traditions that he practiced. He would build his own ladder and get himself back to God. So will you write that down? Paul had once believed the wrong thing about how to get close to God. And that all begins with a question that a lot of us are prone to ask. What do I have to do to repair my relationship with God? What do I have to do to be in God's good graces? And it's a question many People ask, it's the question Paul was asking, but brothers and sisters, I want you to know it's the wrong question. It's completely the wrong question. The wrong question is, what do I have to do to get close to God? The right question is, what has God already done for me to invite me, call me, bring me back to himself and reconcile me to himself? What has God done for me? Paul had to learn to look at it that way. He had to learn to be, to take a different perspective. He had to be drawn in. And that was, as he's about to tell us, not a natural process at all. He tried the natural way. Look at, look at Acts 22.3. I'm a Jew. I was, I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, which means I was born kind of in an outlying in the Roman Empire. We know Paul was a Roman citizen, but I was brought up right here in this city. I studied studied under Gamaliel by by all natural means. That's like saying I went to the Harvard of Judaism. Gamaliel was the top dude when it came to teachers and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Whatever natural that could be done, Paul did it. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Now, isn't it interesting to study Paul? Because he keeps bringing that up. I was extremely zealous. I was just as zealous because that's part of his personality. Paul is a passionate, enthusiastic man. And before his perspective changed as Saul, he was a passionate, enthusiastic man. And after his perspective changed and he became Paul and came to know the truth about Jesus Christ, he was still a passionate, enthusiastic man. Didn't change his personality. It just redirected the efforts of the personality that God had given him. And how did that happen? It happened because Paul, through that vision and through the teaching that he got directly from Christ, he tells us, came to understand that he did not need more rules. That's, that is, I want you to hear that loud and clear. So often we come to church, even now, even today, thinking, I just need one more rule. I need one more piece of direction. I need need one more piece of wisdom and guidance. 
Finally, when Christ confronted him and when Christ taught him, he said, Paul, you don't, you're a Pharisee, dude. You've got rules upon rules upon rules. You don't need any more rules. What you need is the good news that I am the son of God your Savior, that your sins are forgiven, that the death I died on the cross, I died for you as a perfect sacrifice for all your sins, that the life I lived before I was crucified was perfect and holy, and I'm taking that perfection and that holiness, and I'm presenting them to you as a gift so that when God looks at your report card, he sees all A++ because he sees my record in place of yours. You don't need more rules. You just need me, Jesus. That's the good news. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life, my previous perspective on things, That way of life in Judaism, how, there's the word again, intensely love that. I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. See, only one thing changed. And that one thing was that Paul came to know that Jesus is not a blasphemer, not a false messiah, not someone to be gotten rid of, but someone to be embraced as the son of God, his Savior and his Lord. Only one thing changed, but as we're going to hear, that changed everything. Turn the page. Here's what it, We'll start just by giving you the fill-in at the top of the page. What we just heard from that passage is that the change in Paul's heart was not natural. It was supernatural. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul's heart was turned upside down and converted His mind was completely rearranged. His perspective changed. A supernatural change in Paul's outlook on Jesus led to a complete change in Paul's outlook on life. Now, before I go on, I want to say this. Because we get guests every week, I'm going to guess that there are some people here in this room right now who maybe share Saul's perspective on Jesus. And we want you to know you're in a church where we we want you to feel comfortable even if you, you don't fully necessarily agree with our position that Jesus is the Son of God, our Savior. We want you to feel comfortable because we want you to come back. And we want you to experience that same supernatural by the power of the Holy Spirit transit from one point of view to another. And I'm just going to be very upfront about it. We want you to be converted in your heart and in your thinking. And meanwhile, if you're here and that hasn't happened yet, sit back, ease in. We're okay with that. We want you to be here to hear this good news. What you need is not more rules in your life, more directions in your life. What you need is Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So please keep coming. We want you to experience the same conversion of heart and mind that, that, that Paul did. And while I'm challenging people, I also want to challenge those of you 
who might speak a little bit like Paul spoke about his Jewish faith. Those of you who have been Christians for a long time now, you've been following Christ for years and years. Maybe some of you would say, I was born into this. I had godly, devout parents who saw that I was baptized on the eighth day. And I've been following Jesus, and I had that perspective change a long time ago. I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm absolutely convinced of it. He is my Savior, and He is my Lord. And the challenge is this. Go back to the very first verse. Top of page one. What did Paul do when he experienced that perspective change? At once... He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. My question for you is this. Do you know from all that you learned as a child about Jesus where people go who don't believe and trust in Jesus? You do. You know that the Bible teaches that there is a very real place called hell. And that people who don't know Jesus as their Savior go there. And it is real, and it is very, very, very hot for eternity. You know this. You've been taught this. And anyone, and I'm speaking to everyone now, if you're one of those who hasn't had your perspective changed, that's what the Bible teaches. Your eternal destiny is apart from Christ. Those of you now who have been taught this for a long time, have believed it for a long time, you also know something else. You know that heaven is very real. And that it has been given to you as a completely free gift of of God's grace and eternity of enjoying God and his blessings. And eternity of, of living out purpose of glorifying God and enjoying the adventure of of being with God every day. Heaven for eternity. And if you as a Christian for a long time know that that truth about hell is real and that truth about heaven is real and that the difference between those two is a million miles apart in terms of the result for people and you are silent and you are silent with your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers? Can I just ask you to put your fingers up right here and check your pulse? And I don't mean your physical pulse. Our whole purpose, our whole mission, and Paul shows it so clearly. He didn't care. Talk about going back up a mountain to stack some stones. Paul did way more than that. Three missionary journeys. He was beaten. He was persecuted. He was nearly killed multiple times. He was shipwrecked. Why would a guy do that? Certainly not for the retirement plan. Except unless he's thinking about the eternal retirement plan. He did it because... His heart and his mind had been completely rearranged, his perspective about who Jesus was. And because he knew all these people who don't know about Jesus, there are snakes in their caves. And they don't know the danger that they're in. They haven't seen this poisonous viper, Satan, 
who wants to take them out and destroy them, and I need to get out there with the message and move as many people as I can from here in hell over, over to here in heaven. I've got to do it. I'm compelled to do it. I'm passionate about doing it. And there is no other way of life for me because I now know who Jesus Christ really is. When Paul came to know who Jesus really is, he came to know who he himself really is. He writes to Timothy, one of the men on his team, sharing the gospel. This is a a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Wow, what a change. Talk about perspective. Hey, Hey, everybody, look at me. I'm the hero. That's Saul. Paul, guys, don't look at me. You couldn't find a worse sinner than me. Look at Jesus. He's the real hero. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display. Look at Jesus. Put him on display. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. Man, have you experienced the immense patience of Jesus Christ? You have. You have. So have I. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Merciful and patient, Jesus saves sinners like like me. This is Paul's perspective. This is the, the converted heart and the rearranged mind. I'm a sinner, but Jesus sinners like me, Paul says. And he goes on, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus' good works. God prepared in advance for us to do. Guys, he's saying, stop trying to build your own ladder to close the distance and the gap between you and God. I, I went that way of life. I built ladder after ladder after ladder. There was no better ladder builder than me through my own righteousness, my own efforts, my own works, my own attempts. And instead I learned that Jesus already closed the gap. I, I don't need a ladder because Jesus built an elevator. And, and there I was lying dead, dead on the ground at the entrance of the elevator. And God sent the Holy Spirit down on the elevator and he walked out and there I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And the, and the Holy Spirit grabbed me by the collar of my shirt and dragged me into that elevator and up I went in Jesus. No effort, no works, no righteousness of my own. Just Jesus' patience and love. It's a gift. It's free. It's by faith. And even the faith is not from me. That's a gift of God too. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in me. I'm God's handiwork. We write this down. Salvation, Paul came to know, is all by grace through faith. God's undeserved love. That's what grace is. And faith, just leaning on the promises of God, resting on those promises. And finally, the last piece to Paul's change in perspective, 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God's no longer counting your sins or against us. Paul came to understand God's no longer counting even the sin of murder and persecution of his bride. He's not counting that against me. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Hear that loud and clear. When Paul's perspective about Jesus changed, his perspective about life and life's purpose and mission changed. Will you turn this over? Go back to the front side. And I want you right here at the top where it says the story, Paul's mission. I want you to take your pen and I want you to scratch out the word Paul's. And I want you to write in the word my. My mission, that's the story. The story is about your mission and my mission. Do you see what it's saying? Once you're done writing, go back to that passage we were reading. And he has committed to whom the message of reconciliation? To us, to you, to me, to this entire church. He said, here, take this message out about the elevator that I built named Jesus Christ. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You you can't avoid hearing the passion. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says, here's the substance of our message as ambassadors. It's called the great exchange. Luther called it the great exchange. Christ took all of our sins on his shoulders and exchanged them with his righteousness. We are now righteous in God's eyes. Christ became a sinner for us. Unbelievable. And that is what reconciles us to God. Write this down. Jesus makes me new. He makes you new. And in making me new, he also gives me a whole new purpose and mission in life. Now, what does that look like? I believe that if all of us were on the mission, and I like to believe all of us are on the mission, that all of us have experienced the same conversion of heart and the same rearranging of our brain, the same change in perspective as my brother Dan experienced when he went to that cave. But not about snakes in the cave, but about Jesus Christ being the Son of God, our and Savior. Let me ask you this question. If every day you were on the mission, what would that look like in your daily life? I think some professions would go away entirely. I think drug trafficking, human trafficking, I think prostitution, and, and we could lengthen the list. If, if the thought was, everything that I do, I do to thank and glorify God now, some things would go away entirely. Some professions would not go away, but some practices would. No auto mechanic would ever put a used part on a car and charge full price for a new part anymore. No painter would ever pour paint thinner into his paint bucket and charge for a full gallon of regular paint anymore. Things like that would cease because we would all say, you know what? 
I'm here to serve and glorify God, to thank him for his redemption. And I think in a very positive way, the world would change. If you were a a nurse, you'd go to work every day thoughtful. If you were an officer of some kind, you'd go to work every day very, very careful. If you were a professor, insightful. And if you're a salesperson, you'd be delightful to work with. If you were a teacher, you walk into that classroom every day, hopeful. And if you were a lawyer, well, of course, you'd be skillful. When we follow our calling in life through the lens of wanting to say, thank you, Jesus, and I love you, Jesus, that one thing, knowing that he is our Lord, our Savior, our one true hero, hero changes everything. And what about us as a church? How would that look? All together, if we were all on this mission together, would we be inviting people to this church so that they could hear about Jesus? Let me let you in on a little secret. Because of our fall kickoff, coming in just three weeks, let me mention it again, coming in just three weeks, we're advertising like we haven't done in a long time. If you get the South Mountain District News because you live in this community, on the inside front cover of that magazine, that newspaper, will be a huge one-page ad featuring our fall carries post-nuclear families. What I'm, what I'm saying is, if we're on a mission, aren't we going to do our best to collect four or five of those newspapers, open them up to that page, re-rubber band them, and throw all five of them on our neighbor's driveway? Of course we are. We're going to put advertising in a little... Uh, Coupon magazine. Now it's going to be back there a little bit on page six. But you, our members, can cut that out and, and you can tack it to your neighbor's door or mail it to him or, or go to his house and say, have you seen Byers Edge? My church is in there. Holy cow. Why don't you come? This is going to be a great series. If a church were really on a mission, wouldn't they be gathering hygiene items and uniforms for needy school children in their community? If we as a church were on a mission, wouldn't we be getting together little team feed the homeless at St. Mary's Food Bank? If we were a church on a mission, wouldn't we have a ministry to visit prisoners in jail and in prison? Do you know, for instance that our good brother, Pastor Dan, drives to Yuma about every month to visit a member of ours who's in and will be in prison for the next 15 and a half years. We have a ministry like that. And it doesn't just have to be Pastor Dan or me or Phil. It could be you. And let me tell you, it's not easy to get into a prison. It's a hassle. Pastor Dan has driven there and almost been turned back without seeing him and have to drive all the way back seemingly for nothing. Fortunately, the chaplain managed to get him in. But let me do something about visiting someone who's in prison. They are literally a captive audience for the gospel. And you will see. I visited one of our, uh, our prisoner members yesterday. When we started talking about Jesus, oh my goodness. The focus 
and the sponge-like desire to hear about his Savior and his forgiveness was palpable in that room. Would we have people visiting the sick in the hospital, the shut in nursing homes? Yes, and we do. Would we provide individual assistance to people in temporary need of growth or rent assistance? Yes, a church would do that, wouldn't it? Because we love people who are hurting. Would we build a ministry center not focused on our own needs alone, but focused also on the needs of this community as a meeting place where our family members can meet the community? Will we look for a piece of land, a five-acre piece of land, not on the basis of how expensive it is, but how visible it is, so that more people can know that we exist? Would we try to raise an impossible amount of money, three times what we've ever raised before in the history of this church in a capital campaign, and say, our God is big, if we were together as a church on a mission to share Christ with the world, would we go to the whole other side of the world to a country named Mozambique? A country that we're not even allowed yet to operate legally in and try to share the gospel there? Yes, we would. Yes, we would. Because our perspective about who Jesus Christ is has changed dramatically. And therefore, as it says at the bottom of your crosswalk notes, therefore we are Christ's ambassadors in our daily life, in our church life, as though God were making his appeal through us. Because this is the truth. This is the truth. A conversion in our thinking about Jesus will always result in a diversion in our life's mission. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you sent Jesus for us. I want to thank you for, for, for baptism and for Max and Mark being baptized this morning. And I pray that you would just raise those two boys up to know you and, and keep, keep them walking with you. Lord, see your spirit into every heart and mind and rearrange our hearts and minds. Give us a new perspective, a, a perspective that helps us to see Jesus and then also see our life's new purpose and mission and to go on that mission daily. Because we simply want to say, Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for us. You've forgiven us. You've saved us. You've graced us. We're yours. And Lord, as we say our thank yous and bring glory to you and get on this mission together, we pray that you would bless bless that mission and help us reach more hearts and more minds with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.